Hey everyone, I'm Brent Squires. And I'm Lauren Jubeau, telling stories of the famous and not so famous youth workers, the ideas they had, the ministries they built, and the bumps in the road along the way. You're listening to How'd They Do That. Welcome to season two, episode number 19 of How'd They Do That podcast. Brent and I are excited that you're listening today, and we are excited to talk to some more people who are doing great things in and around student ministry. Yeah, we not only want you to check out our webpage at htdt.org, but we also would love for you to follow us on Instagram and Facebook as well. We'd love for you also to forward this episode to someone in ministry who you think could use a little personal encouragement or even some ministry inspiration. On today's episode, we're interviewing Mark Osterreicher. Marco has been involved in church ministry his whole life, particularly with students and youth workers. He has had a broad experience working in churches in roles ranging from junior high pastor to executive pastor. So we sat down with Marco to ask, how'd they do that? But first, let's do our youth ministry shout out. Every episode, we do a youth ministry shout out highlighting a youth worker who is doing something awesome in ministry. And today's shout out goes to Travis Armstrong. Travis is a student ministry pastor at Grace Church in Minnesota. He has a passion for creating environments that attract junior and senior high students and help them get rooted in their relationships with Jesus. Good job, Travis. Hey, Marco, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Tell everyone where you're calling us from right now. <laughs> I'm, I am sitting in my backyard in beautiful San Diego. It's supposed to be 60, 67 and sunny today. However, because I'm just in my backyard, it's possible that listeners could hear the occasional chirping bird or wind chime or plane. Uh, which is just designed to make you jealous of the lovely place that I live. Brent and I decided that'll add a nice, nice touch to the yes. podcast that we previously yeah. didn't have. Well, I'm super excited to get to talk to you today and hear your story. But for those people who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about your personal background? Yeah, I've uh, been in youth ministry for a very long time, 37 years or something oh, wow. like that. Um, and uh, grew up in Detroit and continued to kind of slowly move west, uh, working at a, a handful of churches as a full-time junior high pastor. Really, my 37 years of youth ministry has mostly been with junior high ministry in terms of my day-to-day uh, -day work with teenagers. I really like young teens. Um, and so, yeah, I spent probably half of that time uh, as a church employee, in, as a youth pastor, and then um, in uh, about 20 years ago, I moved to San Diego to work for Youth Specialties, and I spent 11 years there, uh, most of those as the president. And then when Youth Specialties got sold for the first of three times that it got sold in the last several years, last decade, <clears throat> I lost my job back in 2009. And I started this thing called the Youth Cartel, uh, which is what I've been doing for the last 10 years. And the Youth Cartel is a, it's just a renegade little, uh, tiny little organization that is training and resourcing church youth workers. We do a variety of things. Our, probably our two biggest things that we do is our coaching program. It's a year-long leadership development program for youth workers with some other uh, variations of it available also. And then we're also a publisher. So we publish probably a half dozen physical books a year and another dozen awesome. downloadable resources. Very good. And do you have a family, Marco? I do. Uh, yep. I've been married to Jeannie for 33 years. Wow, and that's awesome. She's a therapist who works with foster kids. And then I have a 25-year-old who lives in Chicago and a 21-year-old 
who has boomeranged back home for just a little bit. So yeah, that's the stage of life we're in. We had two years of being empty nesters and we are currently not that. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. Classic. It never ends. So Marco, will you tell us a little bit more about your journey into student ministry? You've been in church ministry for a long period of time doing a lot of different things, Uh, but why have you chosen to remain in student ministry, specifically working with students and youth workers? Like what's driven you? What's what's behind that? Unpack that a little bit for our listeners. I mean, certainly the answer to the question, how do I get into it? And the answer to the question of how I've stayed in it are really different questions. Um, right. Right. Mm-hmm. So the, for the first one, I think it's not that dissimilar to how so many young youth workers get started. And it's just that I had a great experience in my church's youth ministry, was given opportunities to lead as a teenager and saw mm-hmm. in myself and I uh, had called out by leaders a, a capacity for that and some abilities in that area. So it just seemed like the obvious choice. I can put the word calling on it. And I think that's, that's fine. I think that's true. But there's also a sense when you're 18 or 19 years old, that it just felt like the thing that I was made to do. Right. Right. Um, And so, yeah, I pursued that in college and never stopped. And in my very first job, I got hired as a part-time junior high pastor. And not because I yet at that point had any particular interest in junior hires, but more because I was really young and that's where they had a need. And, um, but in the process, I just fell in love with junior hires and grew more knowledgeable about why that age group is so important. Um, so ended up kind of staying in that world. Um, these days, I mentioned earlier that for the last 20 years, I've been, you know, either at Youth Specialties or the Youth Cartel, but I, forgot, I didn't mention that I've also been for that whole 20 years a volunteer at my church. So after, you know, awesome. a couple decades as a as a youth pastor, I've spent the last two decades as a volunteer. So I'm like currently a seventh grade guys small group leader at my church. And tonight I have my weekly gathering with my guys. And yeah, so I, I, it's been important to me to stay connected to real teenagers and not become one of those people who talk about youth ministry, but haven't had any experience of it for a long time, or, or that makes sense. at least not had experience beyond being the speaker on a stage at a, at a guest, you know, a guest speaker at an event, which is different than you know, the kids in my small group, the six boys in my small group, they're not impressed by me. And <laughs> they haven't read your books. They haven't read my books. They, they, they haven't heard. It was kind of funny because a few weeks ago, I actually was the speaker for my own church's junior high winter retreat. And most of my, well, certainly my six guys in my small group and a lot of the kids in our youth ministry, they'd never heard me speak in that kind of a context. I'm just not really upfront much at uh, my church's junior high ministry. I might teach once in a while on a Sunday morning, but um, that's about it. And so it was interesting because they'd never really seen me, for example, as a storyteller or somebody who's unpacking scripture in that way. So it was kind of fun. I mean, my normal weekly involvement in youth ministries these days is uh, at my church is twofold. It would be that I'm leading a discussion and building relationships with an actual group of seventh grade boys. And then I'm there as kind of a coach uh, and mentor to our youth ministry staff. Yeah, so that, uh, that's what I was going to ask you. Uh, so you're a volunteer. You're not on the staff. Correct. 
Yeah. So what does that look like for, you know, your, the youth pastor and the youth staff that's there? I mean, here you've got 37 years of experience. You obviously run this um, well-known ministry organization, youth cartel and written books and youth specialty. That's, you bring a lot to the table, but yet you're a volunteer. Uh, You know, talk about that relationship between you and like the youth pastor. Yeah. You know, I mean, of course, since I've been there 20 years, there have been many youth pastors. Uh, sure. And my church is fairly good sized. It's about 2,500 people on a weekend. So we have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, separate junior high and high school ministries, uh, which also means there have been that many more paid staff people. And I would say right. the experience has varied with different ones. With all of them, and there have probably been between junior high pastors and high school pastors, there's probably been roughly 10 of them over that period of time. They've all seen me in some way or another as somebody who could speak into their lives and ministry. And so all of them were people that I met with one-on-one with some level of regularity. But it's very dramatically what that relationship looked like. So like for the last five years, our junior high pastor, he's fairly young, but he's 30. He's in his young 30s now, but he was a junior hire in this group when I started as a volunteer there. So I've known him since he was a kid, and we have a really special relationship. He knows that I deeply believe in him and love him and want him to win. So he's desperate for any input I can give him on life, on ministry, right? But I also realized that I am one of his volunteers, so I, I serve under his leadership, and it's a really fun but occasionally weird dynamic, right? I have yeah, pretty strong, sense. I mean, I have pretty strong boundaries on what I'm able to do because my day job has me traveling so sure. much. So, you know, I'm primarily just involved as a Wednesday night small group leader and um, and then occasionally for a like a volunteer team training or something like that. Like our, our junior high group meets on Sunday mornings, but I don't go to that. Uh, I usually just pop in the room to say hi, right? There have right. been some of the other youth workers there, though, who clearly have been, and I don't say that this is some that they should have been, but they've been intimidated by me. I don't think I've given them reason for that, but um, it has made it so that they, I can tell that they sometimes want to glean from me, but are uncomfortable with pursuing that. And it's usually because they're people who are really not open to input, right? Mm. I mean, and I, you know, in my work, I'm working pretty intimately with, uh, you know, 60 to 80 youth workers at any time because of our coaching program, which is the main thing I do. I see this difference in youth workers all the time. Do they want to grow or not? And are they, are they truly open to input and change or not? And are they mm-hmm. at a level of self-awareness or not? Those variables make such an enormous difference on whether somebody's going to end up cycling through a bunch of jobs and doing the same thing or whether they're going to really significantly experience growth and transformation in their lives. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you started to talk about this a little bit about the youth cartel um, can you unpack that a little more? What exactly is the organization and what are some of the initiatives that it's really focused in on? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say we, the coaching program is definitely everything under our coaching umbrella is the biggest thing we do. It's the elephant in the room. Um, 
And uh, so our youth ministry coaching program, it's called, is kind of our flagship offering. And a, a regular cohort is 10 youth pastors in a group that meets um, every other month for two days over the course of a year. So uh, it's a whole life leadership development program. There is definitely content and training that's part of it, but a lot of it is more interaction and workshopping stuff and figuring out how am I going to apply this stuff in my own context, as well as, you know, significant personal sharing and mutual support and problem solving. So it's that kind of thing. We have some variations. Like I said, some of the groups meet some online, depending on the context. For for example, we have a cohort that's just for women in youth ministry. And that one, it's very difficult for so many of them because they're moms also um, to travel six times in a year. So uh, that group like meets the first and last time face to face, but the middle four times they meet virtually online. And we also have a uh, an approach that we call on ramps that is really designed for rookie cohort, uh, rookie youth workers in their first three years. Uh, and that one is all online, eight people in a cohort. And that's a different focus. We're focusing more on the priorities and skills that you need to succeed in your first three years rather than the broader leadership development. Um, that's awesome. So people are, so people contact you and say, Hey, I want to get involved in the cohort. They get in a cohort and then you have uh uh, do they all come to you out in San Diego or are they traveling around to different places? No, I mean, as we've grown and had more cohorts going at the same time, they've become more and more regionalized because okay. it's rare sense. for people to travel across the country right. these days for a cohort in a way that in the earlier years of doing this was much more common. They would travel for some of those specialized cohorts, like the women's cohort, or we did one a year ago just for youth workers from multi-site churches. But no, like I am currently myself leading cohorts in Chicago and Charlotte and Atlanta and Denver and Houston and Spokane, Washington. So I go there and the people are from that general vicinity. Um, You know, they I'd say probably from a five hour radius of those locations. So, yeah, I mean, it works in different ways. Right now we're doing some pretty heavy recruiting for our next couple rounds of cohorts, two or three we're hoping to launch before the summer and then two or three more that we're hoping to launch in the fall. So like one of those two of those are in Pennsylvania. One is only for Presbyterians. And that marketing is mostly being done by the Presbyterians who are there as opposed to like the other one that's open to anyone from any denomination. And that one, you know, I sent out 75 emails to people yesterday. So yeah, a lot of it's word of mouth. We definitely, we've had 488 graduates now in 47 cohorts. And those people do a lot of the spreading of the word for us because they're such believers in what they experienced. Right. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, what would you say is some of the fruit that you see coming out of these groups? And then the second part would be, how do you convince your boss that this is a worthy investment of yeah. their money? Yeah, that's a huge question without an easy answer. The The fruit is really remarkable. I mean, I've been in youth ministry training, let's say, for well more than 20 years because I was speaking at the National Youth Workers Convention and other events for 10 years before that. So 
and I can just honestly say that I've never been a part of something that uh, has such an impact that I see genuine transformation in people's lives and they are, they grow significantly in self-awareness and the depth of their thinking. They learn new capacities uh, and skill sets uh, and mental maps for how to lead and particularly how to lead change. And so it is interesting because quite a few of our people either near the end of uh, their year or shortly thereafter end up either <coughs> redefining and recommitting to their church or getting a promotion or moving on. And a lot yeah, of that right. is because the 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 rise in self-awareness that they experience. So, mm-hmm. you know, some of them realize I if I'm really being honest, this is not sustainable for whatever reason, right? Sure. And I can't stay here. Uh, but then they're able to move to a place that they have better alignment with, that they're able to uh, not just look for a job, but look for a fit, you know? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's pretty remarkable when I get, you know, I hear from graduates all the time about the impact that the program has had on their lives. Uh, at, you know, one just pops into my mind right now at the Youth Workers Convention this last fall at the, at the YS Convention. I had the wife of a graduate come up to me and she was in tears and she just said, I, I hardly even know how to put this into words, but I just want you to know that you saved our marriage and my husband is still in ministry because of his involvement in that program. Wow. That's, that's so excellent. cool. So yeah, it's, it's, it can be really, really significant stuff. Uh, and we have a wide variety of people, conservative and progressive, uh, and most cohorts have a cross section. So they end up really learning from one another too. It's not just, you know, me mentoring them or something like that, which is, I think one of the distinctives of our program. So many other, there's a lot of coaching opportunities in the world of youth ministry these days. And a lot of them are more one-on-one model, but this, uh, this cohort or group approach is a big part of how this is succeeding so well. To your second question, though, Lauren, about the cost, it is a big ticket item. And so like our regular full cohorts are $3,000. And that's hard for some people. Sure. Uh, some of our modified ones are less expensive. But, you know, I, I some, of, some churches have no problem with that. They might not yeah, be willing right. to do it every year, but they would see it as, okay, we're going to make this investment because we want our youth worker to really grow and we want them to stay. Sure right? Others get denominational help. So like, I'd say at least half of our cohorts these days have some denominational connection and the denomination is pitching in. Um, So there's often uh, one third or half scholarships that are being uh, paid for by a denominational group, or a lot of people are in a denomination where they can apply for a, like an education grant or a development grant. So we've seen quite a bit of that. We're generous in allowing people to come up with payment plans that spread the cost over a couple of awesome. budget, yeah. budget years. So that's often what makes it possible for people. But at the end of the day, if you want to grow, you find a way to make it happen. I yeah. met enough youth workers at 35 or 40 who say, I really feel like I need to go to grad school or seminary. And it's going to be an enormous interruption for my family and a huge cost. But it's a priority, and I'm going to figure out how to do it. So it's kind of akin to that. If you really want to grow, I can guarantee you that this program is going to make you grow. And so figure out how to do it. We will work with you, but figure out how to do it. And so quite a few of our participants 
their churches pay a portion of it, but they end up paying some out of their own pocket too. Um, which is really different than saying, I'm going to go to a training event for a weekend and expect that my church would just pay for that. Right. Sure. Well, Marco, you've obviously been in ministry for a long period of time. You've seen a lot come and go uh, and a lot of the trends and things, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, Can you talk about where you've seen youth ministry come from over the past, you know, 15 or 20 years? Uh, And you can take that any side you want to look at, like the good, the bad, the ugly. And then uh, part two is where do you think it's headed into the future? Like, what big differences or what, uh, you know, what maybe even kind of trouble spots do you see ahead? Yeah, sure. We could do uh, two seminars of 90 minutes each. Um, <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'll start with the, you know, the where it's come from. The way I tend to talk about it is that I think in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, we were in a cultural context where the dominant task for teenagers and youth culture in general was, uh, the word I use is autonomy, which is trying to understand how my choices matter. It's a question of influence mm-hmm. and power. And so you see this in teenagers, they're regularly trying to work this out, right? Do my choices that I make, can I actually impact the trajectory of my own life? Can I impact who I'm becoming? Can I influence my family, my friend group? Can I influence my community and the world? Of course, we see a lot of apathy as part of that process of figuring that out, too, because they're feeling uh, frustrated that they don't have as much influence as they would like to have. And that was the dominant lens through which the average teenager in the 70s, 80s, 80s, and 90s was viewing the world and themselves. And in a lot of ways, in a, a culturally appropriate way, though theologically problematic, we developed approaches to youth ministry that were really focused on that. So the autonomous, isolated youth group was really born in those three decades. So like a youth group that functioned almost separately from the church uh, and uh, in almost complete isolation from its host church. And so you can almost think of it as a, a parasite, right? I mean, it it couldn't survive without the host organization, but really was autonomous, not only in its programs, but also in its uh, goals and values. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that kind of functionally worked in those decades. I, it has all kinds of other problems. The, the real problem that we've discovered through really excellent research in the last decade on adolescent faith development is that's counterproductive to the long-term faith development of teenagers. It provided, it provided or produced short-term results, but not what, you know, the term that Fuller uh, brought to all of us was not a sticky faith, right? And so, uh, so often what we developed were all these approaches to youth ministry that are still the dominant way we do youth ministry in the church that produced results where kids seemed like they were really flourishing in their faith and commitment as long as they were in the group. But as soon as they graduated, they also graduated from their commitment and potentially graduated from their faith. So we we kind of discovered that that is you know, obviously pretty problematic. And it's not a question then of should we throw the baby out with the bathwater? In fact, we shouldn't. And it's not that all programs are evil. The programs are just what we do. But that kind of approach in the 70s, 80s, 90s of creating an isolated youth group where we're going to, I mean, to put it really negatively, it's we're going to entertain your kids and create a positive social environment. And Mm. It, while no one would have said that was our uh, end game, 
in many ways, if you just came and observed an average youth ministry, it would have felt like that's what the goal was. Uh, right. With a little Jesus mayo spread on that sandwich, right? <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, I think in a lot of ways, that's where we've come from. And it's a huge ship because those were also the decades when we professionalized youth ministry and when most of the organizations that exist to develop resources, to do training, where all of us come from that mindset. If you look at that, who's speaking at a major youth ministry event, it's mostly people who their primary years of practice were in that era. Uh, and so we're perpetuating that even though it doesn't work. And uh, so, yeah, that's, I mean, and that's what I grew up with too. And that's what I did for many years uh, in youth ministry. So where we're headed is that somewhere around the turn of millennium, we saw a shift, which we don't really have time to go into here, but we saw a, a shift in the dominant need of teenagers today to uh, from being at that task of autonomy to the task of belonging. Um, and so for today's teenagers, their search for belonging is through the, the lens through which they view everything. It's certainly how they see themselves and the formation of their identities. It's how they even understand their pursuit of autonomy. So like mm-hmm. my pursuit of finding a place of belonging tells me how my choices matter. By the way, in the 50s and 60s, it was that identity task. Those are the three tasks. So for example, a teenager in the 50s and 60s was saying, who am I? That's the identity question. That will tell me where I belong. A teenager today is saying, where can I find at least something that feels like provisional belonging? That will tell me who I am. Right. That's the shift that's taken place. So youth ministries, I think, are, I'm really encouraged by the positive movement I've seen in this way. There are a lot of youth workers and youth ministries that are rethinking these approaches. But I would still Mm -hmm. say that group is still the minority. The majority is still uh, involved in perpetuating this isolated youth group approach. And so, yeah, we have to figure out how do we offer unconditional belonging prior to belief? Because Today's teenagers are understanding what's true in the world based on experience first rather than facts. And they are looking for a pathway to belonging that says, I want to belong first, and then I'll try on your behaviors, and then I'll consider the beliefs behind them, which is really different than when we said, you have to believe like us and then behave like us, then we'll offer you belonging. They, they won't right. stick around for that anymore, right? Yeah, so where it's heading, uh, it's hard. I'm not a futurist, and predicting the future is is gambling. Um, but I will say that I think we're heading to a hyper version of what our current reality is. We're coming becoming more and more tribal and splintered, and so that uh, finding a place of belonging is going to become even more desperate. And the absolute deciding metric for who I am and who I'm becoming. So yeah, we. We've got to figure some of this stuff out. This has big implications for some of the um, challenges that we're facing in the church right now. You know, questions of what do we do with LGBTQ teenagers also is a question that has implications for this viewpoint of offering belonging, particularly offering belonging prior to belief, right? Uh, right. As opposed to expecting uh, congruence on belief prior to extending the opportunity for belonging, right? So, yeah, right. yeah it's it's a, a big challenge. So, I will say another challenge that I think youth workers are going to face 
um, more and more. It's, I'm already seeing it, but it's going to become very significant in the next uh, 10 to 20 years is just decreasing funds at churches for youth ministry. Uh, right. We'll always, for decades to come, we will always see examples of large, well-resourced churches, and they will often be our model of what things should be like and what we should aspire to. But the average church is struggling with funding, not only because a lot of churches are shrinking in size, but also because people are giving in different ways than they used to. And so uh, donations are going down and churches are cutting, 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 cutting. And that will, that so often translates into first cuts to the youth ministry budget and then cuts to the youth ministry staffing. And so I definitely think that the days of the paid full-time youth worker with a really good budget are behind us. And that not that that's going to go away, but it's going to decrease and more and more youth workers are going to have to find other ways to live into their calling, other ways to fund their uh, ministry approaches. And more and more churches are going to have to be kind of forced to be put back in a place where many of them used to be, which is that they're running their ministry from volunteers rather than uh, Mm -hmm. a a Pied Piper who's the professional who takes those kids over there and does that stuff with them. Does that mean we have to go back to the youth ministry car washes and bake sales? (laughs) Well, I tell you what, there are so many mid-sized churches with full-time youth workers who already still have never had, never gotten to move away from They that. never got to move away. Oh, <laughs> many, you know, I just um, regularly interacting with so many of the participants of our coaching program are often youth workers in churches of, you know, three to 600 people and they, they're full time, but they have to do fundraisers to raise their budget every year. So right. that hasn't gone away. Yeah. But I, I hope it's more than that, Brent. I hope that, like, for example, I just before we got on our call today, I was uh, doing a little bit of work on a book that we have releasing here in um, May that is about, uh, well, the working title is Youth Ministry and Social Enterprise. It's about how to develop, in a sense, a business, a small business that employs teenagers as a context for doing mentoring and discipleship. And that is a sustainable model because it doesn't require funding from the church. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing all that. You're right. We could do two 90-minute episodes and I'm sure we wouldn't even, you know, it's a drop in the bucket yeah. for that last question. Yeah. But switching gears just a little bit, I know sometimes ministry can be very cyclical. It can be just a rhythm of events and trips, activities, sermon prep, you know, all the things. Give um, us some ministry advice. Um, how do you maintain focus and avoid getting just complacent when you're kind of in that rhythm and in that cycle? Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting job because it's high demand, right? And the hours are right. long. And it's one of those jobs that's absolutely never done. And yeah. there's, there's, you always are leaving things unfinished, right? Uh, it, there's always more parents, more teenagers more people who would really genuinely benefit from your time and input, but you have to yeah. say no to things. And it's interesting. It's not that there aren't plenty of other jobs in the world that are very much like that, but often those kinds of jobs are the jobs that people move into in their midlife when they move into jobs that have more leadership. And so once, one of the things that's interesting in youth ministry is that we have all these 20-somethings and young 30-somethings who are full-time youth workers 
in a job that has the demands that often uh, their maturity has not prepared them for. So their maturity and training doesn't match with their age and experience. Yeah, Is that and, and the expectations even, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. And so that, that's a real difficult mm. tension for a lot of youth workers, especially younger youth workers, to figure out how do I travel through this and maintain some level of sanity. That's why a lot of them burn out or move from church to church to church, just trying their same old bag of tricks, right? Or yeah, all those kinds of things are some of the results of that. I think that there are definitely rhythms that need to be in place. And I would say this is true if somebody's 25 or if they're 45 or 55, I'm 55, by the way. And, you know, I, I certainly the first of those maybe is to be a person who's committed to growth. And that involves a bunch of things like reading. It's just you got to be a reader, even if you don't like reading. Shoot, if 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 you audiobooks are great, audiobooks are great. <laughs> TED talks are great. There's lots of ways. Podcasts, podcasts, what a novel <laughs> idea! You guys should start one. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that could fall under reading, right? right. And uh, but learning, taking in new information, yeah, yeah and then an, a, a, a posture of openness that I want to, which is maybe a side uh, bar to learning that I want to find out where my assumptions are not accurate or where they need to change because culture is changing and teenagers are changing or whatever that is. So continued growth in uh, self-knowledge to come up with an actual plan for that. Uh, all of those things have to become part of a life rhythm or, they w- or they'll get squeezed out, right? So mm-hmm. If yeah. there's not intentionality and calendaring and accountability, it's really unlikely that those things will happen. And very few churches actually provide that level of accountability to do those things because they'd rather have you doing running on the hamster wheel, right? Even if they say they want you to be whole and healthy. So, and then I I also think, you know, a regular rhythm and practice of downtime and withdrawing from work. When I meet youth workers who are just on 24-7 and don't take their day off and don't take vacation time and that kind of stuff, I just know they're not going to make it. They're just not going to last. And so figuring out what is the rhythm, and I can't architect that for every person listening because it's different for different people. I actually do fine if I have two or three weeks in a row where I'm traveling so much that I don't do a day off, but only if in that season I also have a three-day period where I'm pulling away by myself to be quiet and uh, rest and think, right? So um, there's different kinds of rhythms for different people. And I will say for most people, that definitely starts with having a true 100% complete day off once a week. Yeah. Yeah. Let's swing to the other side now for that new, you know, youth worker, youth pastor, youth director that's just kind of at the beginning of the journey. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying like what books to read or conferences to go to, although are, although there are some, you know, great ones out there that they should certainly check out. But just let's talk like the 30,000 foot uh, perspective of where should they start making their biggest ministry investment. So like if you're sitting down coaching a brand new youth ministry guy or girl, what would you say? Hey, these two or three things, like you have to get them yeah, right. Good. Well, I, I, at the risk of sounding markety, um, I will say this is exactly the focus of our on-ramps cohorts. So that's, that's what we do in that. Okay. But I'll say a, a handful of things. Certainly learning early on what are the true expectations of 
my church or ministry context. When I see youth workers and their churches have conflict that results in at least dissatisfaction, if not them feeling like they have to leave or being fired, Mm -hmm. it's always in one or both of two categories. One is unspoken expectations that weren't being met. Okay. And the second would be misaligned values. And very little of that ever shows up on the job description and in the hiring process, unless the youth worker is savvy enough to be aware of that and ask the right kinds of questions. But any youth worker, and this is particularly critical for a younger youth worker or somebody in their first few years, is finding out what are the real expectations and A, am I comfortable with those? And B, if I am comfortable with those, how can I make sure that I meet those, right? You will have all kinds of freedom to do all kinds of fun stuff and the things that you feel passionate about if you you first meet the expectations, right? If your church, if your church board or pastor, if the thing they really care about is attendance, you might not like that. You might want to measure other things. But if you don't, If you're not at least aware of that and figure out some way to honor it, then you're not the right fit for that place and you won't last. Right. Right. So you can't change it. I mean, that's the reality. It's very difficult for a youth worker to change their host organization on a significant in a significant way. So you got to figure out, am I comfortable with what these real and often unspoken expectations are? And if and, and you might find that you're more than comfortable, you're thrilled with them. And that's great. That's the ultimate. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, am I comfortable with these? And then how can I meet those expectations, which will then give me the freedom to figure out what it is I really want to do and levels of trust rise and all that, all those things. Another thing I would say early on, and we just talked about this, is figuring out how to develop some healthy uh, values, uh, excuse me, some healthy rhythms in the practice of your week and your uh, season and your year those three categories. So what do I need on a weekly basis? What do I need on a seasonal basis? And what do I need on a yearly, an annual basis in order to Mm -hmm. maintain a level of satisfaction? I'll say this. uh, So many people talk about trying to find balance and I'm not a fan of that metaphorical language. And I don't think it's biblical. I challenge people to I think when we say Jesus was balanced, that is totally imposing our Western modern mindset on Scripture. It's Jesus was not a, in Jesus not balanced. Jesus was gloriously unbalanced and passionate about the things that he was called to do. However, Jesus lived a sustainable life because he knew what his priorities were and he knew how to pull away for times of prayer and quiet and other things that brought that. So I would replace balance with the idea of sustainability and satisfaction. And so I think uh, young youth workers, but hey, this is true for veterans too. We need to figure out uh, what does it look like for me to live a sustainable life and one that is satisfying. Man, it's sad to me how many youth workers are living unsatisfying lives. They actually like their work and feel a true sense of calling to it, but the way they're doing it is not satisfying. They're just frying. They're just burning right? So establishing those kind of rhythms on the front end um, are really, really important. I guess the final thing I would say there, and this is probably the single uh, biggest 
uh, teaching focus in our coaching program is to develop values that you're going to lead from. Too many people in any ministry context are just kind of ultimately winging it on ministry. They may have goals. They may have even developed some kind of a strategy to meet those goals. But if those, if that strategy is not trying to fulfill a spiritually discerned set of values, this is who God's calling us to be as a ministry, this is who God's calling me to be as a minister, then it's just throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. And so develop right. a set of collaboratively discerned values for your ministry and a set of va- values that drive your vo- your own vocational pursuits that kind of stuff provides a framework or a metric for making decisions and evaluating where you're at. Well, that's that's great stuff. It makes me feel super pumped because we have all those in our ministry values and we go over those regularly. Right. So it makes me feel good. I pat myself <laughs> on the back. <laughs> We'd like to we'd like to wrap up this time by doing a little thing that we call lightning round where we shoot you a few questions rapid Great. fire style. Are you okay Bring with it. that? All right. <laughs> Question number one. What is your go-to Starbucks order? Well, it's not an easy lightning round question because I Starbucks very infrequently. I am a coffee snob. Wow, even with all your travel? Okay. Yeah, I'm a coffee snob and I don't really like Starbucks all that much. Um, but you know, what's your go-to coffee at home? I, I'm very particular about what I make in my Nespresso machine and what I make in my French press. I will say my, when I'm go to Starbucks, I genuinely, generally would just get the drip because it's first thing in the morning and I just want a lot of caffeine. If it's afternoon, it's a caramel macchiato. Okay. So follow up question to that. Do you travel with your own French press? (laughs) I travel with an AeroPress sometimes. Do you know what that is? It's a little kind of a travel. <laughs> no, neither Brent and I drink oh coffee. Oh, my God. I would do this question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Question number two. What binge-worthy show are you watching on Netflix or Prime right Umbrella now? Academy. Oh, I've oh never heard of that Oh, come on. What's that about? Lauren. It's, it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the Buzz Netflix show right now, particularly amongst teens. Yeah, it's it's a uh, – I don't even know how to describe it. It's think uh, X-Men meets – uh, Marvel Universe. It's it's a group of kids with special powers, but they're trying to deal with the loss of their dad and their siblings. It's it's awesome. All okay, right, have to check that just out. a disclaimer: I have a two year old, oh, so my TV time has really <laughs> gone away forever. Yeah. She's, gotten, she's gotten lamer over the last two years. <laughs> <I have. laughs> All right, question three. Uh, this is a little bit more serious. Uh, who is influencing you the most right now? So it could be an author, a pastor, uh, you know. A, mentor, whoever, who's influencing you the most right now? It's hard for me to pick a person because, man, I just, I am, I am desperately passionate about growing in my thinking and in every area of my life. So there's so many people that I I'm influenced by, but I think if I had to pick, I would, I would give a category and that is some of my longtime ministry peers that are close enough friends of mine that we have a a level of real honesty with one another. um, And Mm -hmm. they Awesome. And they speak into my life. So, you know, there's a, a small handful of those people that are very influential because I really want to hear what they have to say. Okay. Follow up question to that. Of those people, who should we have on our podcast? <laughs> well, the first person that comes to mind is the single most encouraging person in my life. And that's Scott Rubin. He He's the head of youth ministries at uh, Willow Creek in Chicago. And 
Mm-hmm. As you know, they're going through a difficult season uh, at that church, and there's no one more perfectly suited for his role at this time because I've been so deeply encouraged by him that it has made me now late in life realize that I want to become that. Wow. Yeah. Nice. High we'll, we'll praise. We'll, we'll reach, reach out, out to him. I don't know him personally, but I've seen a lot of his yeah. stuff. So we'll, we'll reach yeah, out to him. Yeah, that's awesome. Next. Good we'll, answer. We'll yeah. recommend right. him. There you go. <laughs> All right. And then final question and most serious question number four, what ministry advice would you give to your younger self? Oh my gosh. There are so many things that I would, I was cocky (laughs) and I was overly (laughs) sure of myself and I mistreated people and justified it by the ends. So there are so many things that my younger self, I wish my younger self had known so I chill the heck out, dude. There, that's the summary statement. I was just way too driven at the cost of people, and and had to learn some really hard lessons along the way that I'm thankful for. So, yeah, no good honesty yeah. there. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So, well, okay. Uh, as we wrap up, tell everybody how they can connect with you or anything big that's coming up for you. Any books or things that you'll be doing? This is your time to brag on yourself. Yeah, plug some oh, books. Nice. Well, I'm easy to find on all the socials. Um, like on Twitter, it's Marco's beard and, uh, on Instagram, it's why is Marco, uh, of course the youth cartel.com, uh, has, uh, all of our books and everything. My last book came out in January. I was the general editor of a book called four views on talking to teenagers about sex. The really, really good book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not currently writing something, but I'm sure I will, um, I've I've written or contributed to over 70 books so there's usually about one or two a year at some point. Uh I don't know. That's that's enough. <laughs> Okay. Awesome. Well, Marco, we'll yeah. yeah, we definitely will. Marco, thank you so much for taking the time to come talk with us. And I know I speak for everyone. When we say that's been a really helpful interview and a lot of good, um, good content awesome. for us. Good stuff, you guys. And there's birds chirping just to give you that final little goodbye. Do you hear them? <laughs> I hear them saying goodbye. <laughs> awesome. Take care. Well, Lauren, that was another great episode. Any thoughts? Yeah, I thought that was really good, um, especially about the coaching side of it. I think churches should make the contribution to sending their people to um, these cohorts. It really, to me, seems like a really priceless and invaluable um, investment. So I think if you're out there and you're considering, maybe just go, you know, talk to your church and see what they can work with you for that growth piece. Senior pastor, suck it up, bite the bullet, spend it's the money. It's worth it if your employee lasts another 10 years and your exactly. ministry flourishes. So Definitely good. is worth it. Great episode. We're deep in the preparations for season three of HTDT, and we'd love to hear from you. Who do you want to hear from, and who should we have on season three as our guest? Hit us up via our website or social media, and we'll do everything that we can to bring them on our show. And what's that webpage again, Brent? It's www.htdt.org. That's HTDT, as in how they do that. If this podcast has been a blessing to you and you've enjoyed it so far, please give us a five-star rating and review so we can continue to keep more great episodes coming. 